Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. I told you I was hot tonight. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Movies for Life. My name is Brian Kuyper. And I'm Michelle Egan. Here we are. Hello, welcome again. Yeah, it's our first <laughs> It's our first episode. Little peek behind the curtain. This is take two of our first episode because there was a technical <laughs> Because computers are dumb. Yeah, because computers are dumb, we uh, have are giving it a second try. But uh, we're hoping this turns out just as well as the first time, if not better. It's going to be even better. It will you be. You feel it. It will be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so we wanted to talk about a few things. Oh, well, first of all, uh, Michelle, would you introduce yourself? Uh, let us know. Yeah, we just got to introduce ourselves a little bit, say a little bit about what we've done and where we come from. Um, back in 2010, I started my own blog called Girl Who Loves Horror and kind of been writing um, off and on ever since. I've had pieces published at Ghastly Gurning, F This Movie, and Wicked Horror, and uh Kind of on a little writing hiatus now, but mostly just find me on Twitter talking about movies. Awesome. <laughs> about and, you. And very much enjoying talking about movies with Michelle on Twitter over the past year or so that, that I have been. Uh, my name, is, again, is Brian Kuyper. I have a column at Bloody Disgusting, classic horror films. Been writing for about a year with Ghastly Grinning. Uh, some stuff at F This Movie as well, Dread Central. And also, uh, I'm a regular contributor at a small website called Manor Vellum that runs through medium.com. So that is us. And how did this show come about? Yeah, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Well, the, the genesis of the show was I had an idea to talk about a certain director, uh, <laughs> go through the filmography of a certain director, and I really wanted to talk about that person with you, because I know you're a big fan as well, but uh, a couple of people... They beat us to it. They beat us to it, and they're doing a wonderful job with that show, but we decided... Oh, yeah. Not to do that, we decided we would come up with our own concept uh, instead. Uh, so we came up with this idea of movies for life, which is movies that <laughs> made us, but that title yeah. was already taken. Um, so these are the movies that are more personal to us, uh, movies that matter to us, that really mean something to us. And yes. there are a lot of them. There are. We, we keep on writing down more and more and more. You think that the number would be like kind of small on the movies that are like super important to you, but when you kind of look into it, like all the different topics that we've you know, thought of doing in the future, there's actually a lot more that mean something to you in different ways, which I think is going to be really interesting about this show. Yeah. You know, both of us in our writing come at things from... A personal point of view uh, in most cases about the movies we watch and write about and we thought we could do that in a podcast format like this as well where we really discuss why a movie affects us in a certain way 
And then, you know, bringing movies to each other, how that helps us to get to know another person, how you get insight into what people love uh, and what they are like through their taste in films. Yeah, so the basic concept that we're going for is we're going to pick like a general topic. Um, As we've talked before, like we might come up with topics based on movies that we want to talk about specifically, (laughs) but just something to um, connect the movies together that we're going to be talking about. Like uh, we're each going to bring one to the table if the other person hasn't seen it, obviously we're going to watch it and then we're going to do a, a deep dive into each of them and what they mean to each other. Yeah, so that's, we're going to usually do two movies per episode, one from Michelle yes. and one from myself. That sort of takes some of the influences of shows that we like and mushes them together in a couple of different yes, ways. It does. <laughs> so, this sounds familiar. Yes, we are big fans of the Pure Cinema podcast. <laughs> that's right. We absolutely uh, love what Brian and Elric are doing on that show. If you don't listen to that show, we highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Now, Brian and Elric are also deep cut people. They really dive into the movies that a lot of people haven't seen, and which is awesome. And I love that I've been introduced to so many great movies. So many movies from them. Yeah, and some that have become instant favorites. You know, for me, uh, The Silent Partner, Rolling Thunder, and several others have become huge favorites uh, that I... And also uh, Modern Romance. i got to give them respect for igniting my love of Albert Brooks movies. Um, (laughs) uh, Me too. Yeah. I've never really dived into them until I started watching them because of them and yeah i'm loving them yeah absolutely i actually bought all of his movies <laughs> recently so so I'm, <laughs> nice. I'm gonna be working my way through those but anyway yes we've been introduced to a lot of movies um <clears throat> by by those guys but um what we're going to do is not necessarily going to be just deep cuts it's going to be stuff that uh, people are familiar with um though we'll probably throw in a few that that are maybe lesser seen or have sort of fallen out of the conversation over the years because some of those movies just mean a lot to us. Yeah. So another influence uh, are shows like F This Movie, Pod and the Pendulum, that dive into one movie per episode. And Junk Food Cinema for me. I don't want them to be left out. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't had a chance to listen to them yet, but I... Definitely will, based on your recommendation. So those shows dive into one, do a deep dive into one movie per episode. And we thought, well, that's great, but um, how about we do two? So one from each of us. And um, maybe in the future we'll have guests on as well who can share something that means something a lot to them. um, And we can discuss those. Uh, We're still working out how some of that would work. We'll see. We're, we're having computer issues yeah. <laughs> over and over again. We'll see if we can make that work, hopefully, in the future. We're hoping. As, as we get better at this, we are hoping to be able to uh, just expand what we're able to do. So, yeah, that's the basic concept of the show. So, going on from there, you had a great question, Michelle, and that is, how do you watch movies? And I thought that was one of those questions that sort of is the basis for this whole show in a way. So what's your answer to that question? Well, first of all, like, I just kind of like asking anybody that question because, you know, some people, they watch movies for fun, for entertainment. Obviously, that's that's what they are. But I've noticed specifically about myself, how I watch movies now is significantly different than how I did even five years ago, you know? 
And I think that comes just from, you know, obviously your life changes as you grow up and you have more experiences. And I think that that affects the way you connect with movies in a positive way. You know, you find yourself connecting with their experiences the same way, just however you felt about whatever you've experienced, you, you can have more empathy for the characters and you kind of, I think you just feel movies sometimes on a deeper level as you've experienced more things in life. Does that make sense? <laughs> that absolutely makes sense to me. I mean, just the idea of empathy. Roger Ebert used to call movies empathy machines, which I think is really apt because you see life through someone else's eyes and through experiences that are not your own. But the more life you experience, I think the more you can... You can understand the person. Yeah, the more you can tap into that empathy. Which before, there are movies that I'm watching now in my 30s that would have just... I would have hated or gone completely over my head in my early 20s because I just wasn't at a place in my life yet to appreciate them. I've experienced that over and over in my life. And yes. when we get to our list that we're going to talk about today. There are several on that list that had I seen them at a different time in life, I don't think I would have had anywhere near the kind of experience with them that I had. Even looking back at, you know, some of them are 20 years old or more, most of them older than that, that at the time I, I experienced them one way and now I feel them so much differently now. Movies that you grew up with as a kid that you liked for a certain reason back then, you could like them for a totally different reason now because you connect with it in a different way. I think that's really interesting. Okay, so another thing is, you know, how how does things like family, work, and other experiences in life, how does that affect the way you watch a movie? Well, I just think it's really interesting to doing this show with you because we're both like totally different. Like you have family and kids and I'm single and we you know we have different work environments yeah i think i i definitely connect family stuff does hit me a little bit harder because you realize as you get older how much important family is both your real family and your made-up family like your uh your twitter family yeah. like friend, friends like you that i've made so yeah it, it definitely comes into it and makes you think about things a little bit differently the more people you encounter i think the the more that again that empathy comes into play and we should also note that not everything on this show is going to be <laughs> yes. deep and serious and heavy at all because there yeah. there are some things that are just like this is just fun and connects with yeah. me deeply because uh it brings me such joy uh, because it connects to a certain period, you know, it just it just strikes that chord. So so don't think that coming into this that this is going to be some sort of heavy, dreary kind of show all the time. It really is not. It's really not. There are some movies that we've already talked about that will come up that will get into more serious topics, but I think those are going to be maybe not few and far between. But they're not. We're going to space them out. Yes, the exactly. serious with the fun if we can. <laughs> as much as we can, yeah. We want this to be a fun show. We want this to be a great experience for you as a listener. We also want to get you involved when we can. Yeah. With interacting with us and the show, uh, so we'll talk a bit about that a little bit more as we go along. But are we ready to dive in? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's do this. So, do you want to explain what we're doing? or We're doing, uh, we're going to list off five of our forever favorites, is what we're calling uh, these movies, which is kind of a, a ripoff, yes, of the Handshake <laughs> movies from Pure Cinema. 
Um, and these are movies, this is how I like to describe them as forever favorites, because you have those movies that are your favorites, you know, that you love, that you watch all the time, but maybe they're newer favorites. Maybe they're ones that you're just obsessed with in the moment. These are the ones that have always been your favorites and probably will always be your favorites, no matter what else might change in your life. Just movies that you just have always connected to and it. If it hasn't changed yet, hopefully it's not going to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. These are your forever favorites. Forever These, will be in your life. That And that's a perfect definition because, you know, idea is, you know, some movies come and go or they go up yeah. and down the list. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, I could probably pick more than five that I will always love. Uh, mm-hmm. But these are the ones that kind of cut to my core in some way that really have implanted themselves deeply uh, in my heart and mind and i always sort of gravitate back to even if i've been away from them for a while i'll gravitate back to them because you know my number five on this list i haven't seen in a while one of the others i haven't seen in quite a while either but it always means something to me and i know when i do revisit it that it's really going to have a deep effect on me again whether it's for Definitely. for for in an emotional sense in a in a sense of joy and laughter or whatever that it's really going to make a difference to my day <laughs> now are these movies that you find yourself watching a lot like i know you just said that one in about, particular but about half of them i do some of them yeah. some of them i don't watch very often i'm looking at one of them on the list and i'm like man, I, I really haven't seen that one in a long time. I used to watch it constantly. Yeah. I mean, like I would put it on as I was going to sleep and I would just like fall asleep. And <laughs> it was like the warm blanket I was falling asleep in. Uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering what that one was. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, 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 I'll we'll know. get to it. I'll let you know. Yeah, it, right, it wasn't... Why don't you start us off this time? Oh, okay. I'm going to start us off? Okay. That's, yes. That's cool. Okay, so I'm going to start. Now, mine are actually ranked on a five to one. Though I have my to, aren't. yeah, yeah. So I have to say my my three, four, and five though are essentially a tie, but the top two are really kind of solidly my top two. So we're gonna start back in the seventies, which is the decade in which I was born. I'm gonna pick from the filmmaker I probably like the most is probably my favorite filmmaker, but it's always hard to pick. Um, but I'm picking Martin Scorsese and I'm picking his film Taxi Driver for yeah. for number five. What Taxi my Driver dad. means to me. Yeah, your dad. <laughs> Scorsese but, is my movie dad. Yes. I love him. Always and forever. Yes. And uh, for me, Taxi Driver is, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I probably would watch some of the others more. I think I'd probably watch Goodfellas more often because it's just kind of more fun. <laughs> but... Taxi Driver is the one that connects with me for reasons I couldn't comprehend when I first saw it. It was the first movie I remember where I watched it and thought, I don't really get what's going on. I I don't really get why I'm responding to this, but I am willing to watch it more often to try and figure that out. And then when I, it's sort of related to this idea of loneliness and being solitary you know, I, I cannot relate to the idea of going around and shooting people or anything Killing like people. that. Yeah, that's that's not really my thing. Um, but the idea of being solitary, because the taxi was, you know, Schrader, Paul Schrader, the writer, has written and spoken about how it was a metaphor for being solitary, for being lonely. I, I, could, I could connect with that. Movies about loneliness that take place in big cities, 
I think are particularly profound because they're always surrounded by so many people, but they're still just this solid. It's where you can person. feel the most lonely. Yeah. And it is, um, so Taxi Driver, and also it's, it's just a beautiful looking film, even though it's grimy. It's as slimy and sort of icky feeling as, you know, Texas Chainsaw or, or <laughs> Maniac or some of those sort of super low budget exploitation kinds of movies. Uh, but it's, It feels like that old dirty New York that doesn't really exist anymore. Exactly. It's just got a quality to it, and the, and the look of it is is incredible. Um, you know, from Michael Chapman, the cinematographer, and Scorsese, you know, creating that imagery of the neon-soaked, steamy, wet, slimy city. And it is an incredibly powerful movie that, you know, I can't really relate to any of the characters. And I, which, <laughs> so I, I, I relate to them on a, on a level deeper than the text, I should say. Yeah. So anyway, so my number five there, uh, Taxi Driver. That's the one of my dad's that I've only seen like maybe twice Mm -hmm. in my life. And the last time was several years ago. It's one that I haven't really wanted to Mm -hmm. revisit because of uh, the feeling that I got from it. Yeah. The first, those first times I saw it. But yeah, hearing you talking about it and hearing other people like say the same kind of things. I think it is someone, one that I would I would get a lot more now and relate to a lot more now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that one again. It's, it's one of those movies where it's like, I almost feel bad that I like it so much, you know, and that I've seen it so <laughs> right. much because it is kind of, you know, disgusting people. Yeah. You know, there, there aren't a lot of, it's people, not a feel good movie. No. no, it's not in any sense at all. The others on the list are not all of them, but are, are much more that for me. But, um, but taxi driver is one I can't explain in a lot of ways. I can't really explain my, my, connection with it well you might have to eventually if yeah. we're going to be talking if about these i imagine future episodes <laughs> i imagine we probably will okay so gonna have, we're gonna have to figure it out okay so michelle what's <laughs> what, what's your pick what's your uh, my next one is also from the 70s, obviously like one of the greatest decades for movies. Uh, I'm going to 1975 with uh, Milos Forman's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And this is a movie that it just it fascinates me and sucks me in every time I watch it. I think I mostly I love this movie. There's some movies that you like to watch just because you love watching the actors play in their roles. And I I think I just love the performances in this so much, um, obviously from the two mains, uh, Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher, but also like all the little side performances from the characters like Christopher Lloyd and, and Brad Dourif that I just adore with all my heart. I, I love watching all those people in the backgrounds and, and play in this in this this uh, mental institution where they're not I don't want to say acting crazy but they're they're such big characters and the little moments that you can see them playing in the background it's just it's wonderful to me and it's so obviously amazing cast and it's compelling it's emotionally draining to me too like it's not a really particularly enjoyable in that way because it always makes me sad at the end but it's just such a beautifully put together film that I I just love it I always have I remember, I can't remember exactly when I saw the movie. It was probably in high school. I read the book in college and revisited it a few times and was very connected with it for a while, but I haven't seen it in a long time. It's one I'd really like to come back to because it's been so long and because the last time I watched it, watched it for some reason I didn't have it, which was really unexpected. 
because I had loved it so much when I was younger. It's definitely going to be worth giving it another viewing now uh, after 15 plus years since I last saw it. Yeah, and there's a lot to read into it that I never saw when I first watched it, like in high school. I think you'll definitely get a lot out of it. Yeah, as, see it again. You know, especially hearing you know some of the Christ allegories and stuff like yeah. that that I had that had never dawned on me before, which is. But then when you hear odd. it, it just like automatically clicks, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah I it, definitely see that now. And it's odd that it never connected with me because that's something I always looked for, especially when I was in college, because I, I took a class when I was in college that we examined a couple of movies from through that lens. I went to a, a Lutheran college here in the Tacoma area. It was a religious, I think it was a New Testament course. So I would look for that a lot when I watched movies, but for some reason, when I rewatched Cuckoo's Nest, that did not dawn on me while I was watching it. Now I think about it and go, well, duh, I mean, you take some fishing, yeah. you've, you've got sort of like them taking the pills as though it's communion. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of things throughout that film that are so clearly that I don't know how I missed it. <laughs> so I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing that again. Next up for you. Next up for me is a tie because I couldn't... I know. I, and I, know. I allowed you to have this time. Yes, so. yes. Just this once. Just this once. So this is, I guess, my horror comedy slot. <laughs> and uh, I had to... I had to include a Universal Monster movie. Uh, so I picked my favorite of them all, which is Bride of Frankenstein. I mean, it's funny. Uh, and then speaking of Christ allegories, it's very much got that in it. You know, what the monster... I mean, even as a pretty young kid when I saw this, I thought, well, the monster's being put up on a stake and he's got, you know, a mob around him and they're throwing stones at him. If that's not a, <laughs> a crucifixion, I don't know what is. There was that, just sort of this idea of the tormented outsider. I probably saw this when I was starting to think, oh, um, she's pretty and she's she's cute, and I I, I uh, and I, I felt like I was not. I was a pretty 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 chubby little kid. And I was a pretty chubby little adult too for for most of my life too. I never felt attractive to anybody. Uh, so that moment at the end when the person who is made for him even rejects him it's just like ouch man <laughs> so that that really i really connected with that movie i still connect with that movie it's a beautiful film in a lot of ways it's very funny it's kind of got everything that makes i have called it over and over again the, the crown jewel of the frankenstein or, or of the uh, of the universal monster movies and I know a lot of people gravitate towards other films, and that's totally cool with me, but I really think Bride of Frankenstein is the pinnacle, and it's just a great film, and I love it and will always love it. The other on the list is, much later, uh, is Ghostbusters. Yeah. Now, Ghostbusters and the original Frankenstein have a lot in common for me. First of all, Frankenstein was the first horror movie I ever saw. Uh, it was one of the first movies right after we got our VCR. My mom and my brother went to the library, picked up some movies, and they got Frankenstein for me, which they knew I had been dying to see. It did not disappoint. Uh, I am still a massive fan. If you look on my Twitter account, you'll see my profile picture is me next to my Frankenstein poster. I adore that film. And Ghostbusters is similar because... I wasn't really, when at first, I was pretty young. I was, I, well, I guess I was six years old uh, when it came out in the theater. My parents didn't want me to see it 
at that age because they thought it would be too scary. And you know, this was the Satanic Panic era. Uh, they probably heard <laughs> heard that it had some some of that kind of stuff in it, which you know, kind of does, I suppose. So what happened was after it came out on video, I saw it at a friend's house, and I was like, "This is awesome." Absolutely fell in love with it. We were able to get it from a friend of my dad's who recorded it off of HBO for us. Uh, we didn't have HBO, <laughs> so we relied on that. Uh, I watched that tape over and over and over again, taking it completely serious. I did not think of it as a comedy at all when I was young. I didn't either. Oh, Gosh. I was terrified of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> That opening sequence, you know, down in the library and the ghost of the woman turns into that creature. Yes. Was <laughs> I was scared of the music yeah. that played over the Columbia Pictures logo. <laughs> Before the movie even starts, I was like, this is going to be scary. I don't know if I'm going to like this. But yeah, I used to watch that all the time, too. But I took it to- so serious and didn't see it as a comedy until I got older. Yeah, it was funny because when I saw it in college, because I bought it, I, I knew I liked it. I finally bought a real videotape of it. I watched it, and I remember I was sitting in a chair in like a recliner in my dorm room watching this movie by myself and laughing hysterically. And it wasn't because I didn't know the lines. I had the lines firmly implanted in my mind. I knew all the gags. I knew everything that was happening. But for some reason, I had never thought it was funny until that moment And I knew every beat I knew exactly well. But that moment when the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man turns the corner into the frame and starts coming down the street, I literally fell out of my chair. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) It's also an awesome thing because that is the movie. My son, that was the gateway horror film for me. It turned out to be the gateway horror film for my son. My parents showed it. It's a good one for that. Yeah, my parents showed it to him while they were at staying at their house one day and they said we probably should ask your permission first it's kind of scary and i was like yeah it is <laughs> you know and then um, <laughs> but he loved it all right i talked way too right. much about those movies. <laughs> no that's fine uh so let's let's send it back to you what's up next for you back to me all right well you mentioning your two uh comedy horror ones i don't really have strict horror movies on my list which is crazy since my roots are kind of in horror but uh the next two i'm going to talk about are we'll say horror adjacent or i would put them in that category Mm -hmm. uh let's see let's go to 1955 one of my favorite movies of all time obviously diabolique um this movie absolutely blew me away when i first saw it i remember first hearing about it um on um, bravo did their list of the 100 scariest movie moments and diabolique was on there and the scary movie moment they picked was actually the ending they spoiled the end of the movie uh but i remember still being interested in the movie put it on my list to see and luckily when i finally watched it for the first time it was it was a couple of years later so i actually forgot what the ending was um but that first viewing uh anybody who hasn't seen diabolique that first viewing is such a joy yes i think because you get so hooked in by the mystery of the plot, um, you know, a wife and a mistress um, who plot to kill 
their husband, or her, obviously the wife's husband, they do, and his body goes missing. And it all takes place um, at this kind of isolated school in France. The whole movie is about revealing the mystery slowly and getting into these characters who are played phenomenally by the the main three people. It leads up to perhaps the greatest ending of a movie in cinema history to me. But even on rewatches, it's it's such a rewarding movie. Like I said, just for the performances, for the the beautiful black and white photography. It's mostly it's not a lot of action. It's it's mostly them like talking and like figuring this stuff out. And even if, though you know what's happening, it's it's so well done all all around. I would compare that movie to Psycho in a lot of ways because yeah, it does have that twist at the end, but. It also, in the same way, is just so rewatchable. Uh, you, yeah, you can absolutely you can and you can sort of pick things apart of, on your f- second, third, fifth, tenth viewing. Yeah, you watch yeah. the interactions of the characters in a different way. Yeah. So some some uh, twist ending movies, they just you know, it's like oh, that's it, they're one and done, or maybe twice, you know, to see if there was something that came along earlier. But Diabolique is definitely one that you can watch over and over and over again. It's one that I haven't rewatched over and over again, but I would very much like to. Uh, so we're definitely going to be uh, picking <laughs> yes. picking that one to talk about uh, at some it's point. It's one that I love introducing people to if they haven't seen it and yes. they don't know anything about it. Yes. it. It's so rewarding. Like, no matter what kind of movies they seem to like, you know, even if it doesn't really seem like it's their thing, Diabolique always gets them. And I love that about that movie. And I have to say, if you have not seen Diabolique... Don't read anything about it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. If you haven't seen it, that is the one that I would urge you to go see before the ending gets spoiled for you. Because... Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, if you can watch that movie pure, then do it. Because it is quite an experience. I, I was lucky enough to not really know anything about it before I saw it. I had heard about it because I had bought Vertigo when it was uh, restored. And so I watched Vertigo and there was a special feature at the end that talked about some of the making of the movie. And one of the elements was Diabolique was instrumental. The success of Diabolique was the movie that Hitchcock pointed to and thought, I wanted to make that movie. Yes, and, he did. <laughs> yeah, and so the writers wrote a film for him, wrote a novel that they thought Hitchcock would like, and that evolved into becoming Vertigo. So there's that connection. But I think, if I'm honest, it probably relates. It's I find more similarity between Diabolique and Psycho than between Diabolique and Vertigo. I, I see it, yeah. You know, and also speaking of twisting, I don't know how my wife managed to make it through a good 25 years of her life without knowing the end of Psycho. I still don't get that. Yeah, I, I mean, not know. Psycho was spoiled. <laughs> Psycho was spoiled for me in like when I was like six and Psycho 2 came out and everyone's like, oh, Norman's back. And oh, Norman's, well, if you don't know the ending of Psycho, I don't want to say, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's just like, so I, I knew, I always knew the ending of Psycho. Uh, so to, to to actually have someone who who I'm watching this movie with who had no idea what was going on and was genuinely shocked by the ending, I hope that's what people are able to experience with Diablo because yes. it deserves to be seen. And it's not a movie that is like so reliant on the ending no. for being effective, even though it 
it, that first time it works so well. It's also just, like I said, amazingly acted. Um, mm-hmm. Simone Signoret, I love her so much. Uh, Vera Cluzo. And it's also just a beautiful movie, beautiful black and white photography that I just absolutely love. There's this scene towards the end where Vera Cluzo's character, uh, Christina, is running through like the dark hallways of the school and it's like she's wearing this bright white nightgown and just the contrast is beautiful and the way like things appear around the corner the shadows there's uh there's even this one scene that i love it's just like a suit somebody carrying a suit into the room and like the suit is a, a kind of a crux to the plot you'll you'll find out when you see it and just the way he he shut he shows certain things like that are brilliant and they work so well in the movie i think people would really enjoy it yeah and cluzo is a is a wonderful filmmaker i also would recommend his uh wages, wages of, of fear. fear if you haven't seen wages of fear that's another great one another great remake too with sorcerer of that yeah, one so totally. anyway we'll, we'll talk about makes and remakes a little later too don't watch the remake to the other don't watch that. no no definitely you don't have to no you definitely don't uh even if you're a big is it sharon stone in that one yes yeah if, even if you're a big right? sharon yeah. stone fan I, I don't think you need to see that remake uh no? yeah just watch the original you'll be good that's <laughs> <be just> fine <laughs> Okay, so the next the next one is for me is the one that that I don't revisit that often, but uh, when I saw it in the theater, it was life changing. It was the movie that absolutely redefined the way that I watched movies. I couldn't believe that it actually worked. There's so much in this movie that should not work. I was so moved by it. I saw it three nights in a row, and it's a long movie. <laughs> it's over three hours long. It is mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. It's hard to describe. One that I have seen and do not remember hardly at all, except for the frogs. Except for the frogs, yeah. And another movie that's got sort of a weird thing at the end. And, <laughs> and, and the thing is, when the frogs start falling at the end, I remember everyone in the theater the first time I saw it had just sort of settled in and was just sort of letting the movie wash over them. There had been some interesting things, you know, like singing to the 80 Man song when they're all singing Wise Up all together. He's going from character to character, and every single one of them is singing this song. Something that should not work. It should totally take you out of the movie. But it doesn't. (laughs) And it was just like, it's one of the most beautiful, powerful scenes in the middle of this movie. And it's, that sort of sets you up for being able to say, oh, there are frogs falling out of the sky now. And <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is normal. I mean, the whole movie is setting you up for something like that to happen. And I just remember people sort of started shifting up in their seats and going, what? You know, <laughs> during that sequence. Just a, just a quick breakdown, okay? So this is just a story of several people who live in the San Fernando Valley of California, Los Angeles, who are linked together in sometimes very tight ways, sometimes very loose ways, how they uh, run into each other, how what one person does way over here affects another person way over here. It was like nothing I'd ever seen at that point. It opened up my ability to sort of watch movies in a way that I hadn't before. It's also a movie that I remember, it's the first movie that I remember I really, really loved and thought was something incredibly special that no one I knew liked. Every, everyone was like, that movie is so weird. I don't get it. It's stupid. Yada, yada, yada. I was kind of heartbroken by all that, you know, because it uh-huh. moved me so much. And I could see, you know, I, I got what he was 
doing with that movie. And so I wanted to try and dig into that more. It really opened the door for me to appreciate, you know, a filmmaker like uh, Robert Altman, for example. I, I saw Shortcuts not that long afterwards and was... was saying, Love Altman. Yeah. They were saying, what, it's doing something kind of like that. It, it just opened so many doors for me. I defy anyone to see this movie and not be able to relate in some way to one of the characters. And the characters are given pretty substantial time. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the movie is so long, but there's nothing I can think of that I would lose from this movie. I mean, it's like, what what do you take out to bring down the runtime? You lose in stuff that's way too important, uh, losing even just a moment of the film. But incredible cast, William H. Macy, uh, John C. Riley, Tom Cruise in probably his best performance ever, Julianne Moore, Philip Baker Hall, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Jason Robards and Philip Seymour Hoffman have some of my favorite sequences together. It, it's really, if you haven't seen Magnolia, there's really not quite anything like it, I think. I'm so connected with that movie, but it's one, again, this is the warm blanket movie. This is the one that I used to put on and fall asleep to because, oh, really? because this, one. <laughs> this one, and it was, it was, huh. it was like, these were people that I could relate to. I could relate, especially to John C. Riley's character. I think at the time, you know, as a person of faith, uh, and also as a person who, you know, tried to do the right thing, but <laughs> wasn't always successful. I thought that that was something that I connected with at the time. It'd be interesting to see if I connected differently uh, with someone else now. Uh, I probably would. So it was. It's 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 quite an experience. This is the one that I I'm definitely the most excited to rewatch because I think I saw it around when it first came out is '99, right? Yes. So I was still a teenager, and I think I completely dismissed it back then because I didn't get it. I had no idea really what was going on, but hearing you talk about it, I think I've definitely changed since being a teenager. I think there's things that I would see this time that that I obviously didn't the first time because I just, like I said, I barely have any memory of it and remember not really liking it or at least, at least just not really getting it. And so if you don't get something, you kind of like shove it off sometimes and don't go back to it. But I'm definitely very interested to go back to this one. Yeah, I was 21 when it came out. So I was sort of starting to I was I was ready to move on from being a casual moviegoer to really digging into stuff. Right. I, I would watch at the time, you know, it was, you know, Roger Ebert and whatever guest host he had at the time because uh, because uh, Gene Siskel had passed away. And he had not yet joined forces with Richard Roper yet. But I remember seeing so many of the movies that he talked about from 1999, because especially the top movies, I mean, the, the top movies on his list were like Bringing Out the Dead, Boys Don't Cry, movies that were not the ones that were gravitated to by people I knew, which were The Sixth Sense. Uh, it's not that they were bad movies, uh, but movies like The Sixth Sense and Fight Club and Star Wars came out that year, uh, episode one, and um, The Green Mile. Movies I liked them all on one level or, or another, uh, maybe not episode one so much anymore, but, but the others. Um, <laughs> but they were of a certain ilk, whereas, whereas these other movies like Bringing Out the Dead were things that were challenging, would really push me. And, and it's... I really count 99 as the year that I became more than just a casual moviegoer. 
and really sought out stuff that was a little bit, that would push me more. And Magnolia was a big piece of that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, my next one here is my other, like, kind of horror. One that I like to refer to as horror from 1962. It is Cape Fear. (laughs) And this one is kind of a weird one. Like, I see people like this movie. They enjoy this movie. No one ever really has it as like one of their favorites. But for some reason, this movie is one of my favorites. I first saw it probably on TCM, you know, like getting into movies. And I knew Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. So I was like, hell yeah, Mm -hmm. let's watch some of this stuff. And it's it's not really what, what I was expecting. It's a lot more serious, even though because of the time, the movie cannot be so specific as to what it's about it is very serious very dark which kind of masochistically i enjoy watching movies (laughs) that are kind of serious and dark like that um i think it's also kind of representative of my love of revenge movies even though the person um getting revenge in this movie i don't agree with at all uh that is max katie who is played to perfection by robert mitchum to me he is the scariest and most evil human villain as max katie to me just because he is he's so sure of himself in like this creepy way and he's just completely unapologetic about who he is and what he is And that's terrifying to me. Like, a real-life human villain like that, who just doesn't care, Mm -hmm. that's terrifying. How do you beat that? How do you stop that? And uh, Gregory Peck, on the other side, obviously tries to do that. He's the epitome of the good guy, the perfect guy. He's basically the same guy he plays in To Kill a Mockingbird in this. Just, like, the perfect stand-up dude with a family that he's trying to protect from this guy. And it's just, it's such a wonderful clash of morals. I think that I enjoy watching and kind of working through all that, like who's really right? You know, does, does he have a point? Does, does Sam have a point? Does Max Katie have a point in some way? He really doesn't, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He just thinks he does in his mind. And that's what makes it kind of fascinating to me. Um, I also really enjoy the work of the director of this movie, Jay Lee Thompson. Mm-hmm. whom you should all know and love, not just from Cape Fear, but also from movies like Happy Birthday to Me, uh, 10 to Midnight, um, a lot of work he did with Charles Bronson. Um, I think he did Death, Death Wish 3. Now I can't remember which one. There's like 3 I, and I 4 like Death or something. Three. I, I like Death Wish 3. <laughs> I'm a it's big fun. fan of 10 to Midnight. Oh, man. Yeah, I so much. I only yeah. saw that for the first time recently, but it is so good. Uh, yeah. Well, if you haven't seen it, I, I blind bought it with the Screen Factory disc, and it was well worth it. So I, It's I, so much fun. I highly recommend it. It's just such a diverse director, mm-hmm. so many different things in his filmography. And he and the cinematographer, Sam Levitt, uh, this who also did um, another one of my super faves that we're probably going to be talking about, um, Anatomy of a Murder. Mm-hmm. This just has... Again, beautiful black and white photography. It's very reminiscent of Hitchcock. This is, I think this is another one that Hitchcock wanted to do. I believe it. Which is weird. Diabolique and Cape Fear. I just now thought of that. But yeah, uh, Thompson actually worked with Hitchcock. So um, he has, I think he has a lot of his sensibilities in mind when um, when he was, when he went to do this. And it's very reminiscent of that, um, just in the way that it's shot. Uh, 
the way he photographs the villains versus the good people. You know, it's a fascinating movie to me, just all around, and I adore it. This is one that I saw, I've seen it once, and it's been quite some time. This is one where I've seen the remake more often. For me, the remake is kind of fun, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, not one of it's my... It's a little crazier, yeah. it's a little more over the top. Yeah, and... and... It changes some things but uh-huh. the core is still there it is it is and and i know that scorsese was a tremendous fan of the original as well and he kind of resisted doing the remake at all but you know if anyone was going to do it i was glad it was him the uh original is one that i this is probably the one on your list that i'm more i'm most interested in, in seeing again because it has it i have so little memory of it and now that I've become so much more of a fan of Mitchum, for example, than I was at the time. Love him. Yeah, because I, I don't think I'd even seen Night of the Hunter or some of his other really outstanding work before I saw Cape Fear. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see this one again. Two amazing villainous performances from the same guy. Yeah. Night of the Hunter and Cape Fear. Mitchum, yeah, he kills it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy watching him here. Definitely. I actually really like his performance in the remake, too. He's actually one of of, oh, yeah. <laughs> of the supporting characters. He's probably uh-huh. my favorite. And it's fun because, you know, you have you have Scorsese paying homage to the original by having Gregory Peck, Robert Mitchum, and Martin Balsam, all three, mm-hmm. in it. And Martin Balsam is, is someone I really admire. You know, most would probably know him best as Arbogast and Psycho bringing up Psycho again. Yep. Um, but also, yep. um, he's so great as the, as juror number one in 12 Angry Men, episodes of The Twilight, all sorts of things. He's one of the great supporting players ever. Uh, yeah, one of the great character actors. Yeah, I, I really want to see this movie again just so I can see those dynamics happen again. And, you know, you mentioning Hitchcock again, it's like one thing I'm really shocked about is the fact that I do not have a Hitchcock on my list. <gasps> because um, Hitchcock is, I mean, he's up there as one of my absolute favorites. And I'm surprised that Rear Window or something isn't on here. Because... I have a Hitchcock tattoo for crying I out loud. I know, I know. And if I, would, <laughs> if I ever do get a tattoo, it would probably be something related to that. But I, I don't I don't know <laughs> that, I can, that I can go there yet. Not really willing to go under the needle yet. But, um, Maybe. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a <laughs> wuss. Kidding. I'm a wuss. Anyway... <laughs> So my next right. movie, speaking of pain. Speaking of pain. Speaking of pain. I don't know why I said that. But, you know, uh, it's, it, this is my number two movie. It is definitely, it's my favorite horror movie of all time. Probably more for nostalgic reasons, maybe, but also because it's a damn good movie. And that is uh, Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. This movie has flaws. Uh, it's probably the most flawed movie that I'm listing, especially I, I, I've never liked the ending. There are limitations of things that Craven always dealt with were budget and studio interference. But this is a really, really great movie, and I revisited probably the most of all of these. Uh, within the last year, I've, I've watched it four or five times already, and it's just one that... It, it's if there's a comfort horror movie for me, this is probably it. It's one that has changed a lot for me over the years because as a kid, you know, it was Freddy, 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 and Freddy's really scary in this movie. Still, I mean, this is the first one. Uh, you see what Craven was really doing with this character 
is a million miles away from what it became, even in the second movie, where he's still kind of scary, but definitely different from 3 and beyond until you get to New Nightmare. Now, when I look at it, it's much more about the dynamics between uh, Nancy and her friends, and Nancy, especially Nancy and her parents. I think what's going on there is really interesting, especially between her and John Saxon. This is, in some way, John Saxon's story is the story of a father who desperately loves his daughter but cannot believe her, (laughs) you know, and that is heartbreaking. It's really powerful to see uh, Saxon in this role now for me, especially having a daughter sort of approaching that age. I mean, she's 12, (laughs) so she's got a few years before she's Nancy's age, but it's a really powerful movie. It's fascinating. It's scary still. There's a jump scare in this movie that still gets me every single time (laughs) towards the end when when Nancy pulls in her after her last dream, she grabs onto Freddy as she's waking up and then she's like, she thinks that she's failed. She thinks that he hasn't come out into the quote unquote real world, though I'm suspicious as to whether it really is and um (laughs) and and just suddenly jumps up from behind the bed i that gets me every single time even though i know it's coming so well it is probably the most effective jump scare for me ever yeah it's just an endlessly fascinating movie you know what is reality what is a dream the nature of the dreams in the movie are different than they became in some of the later films um there's a sort of sense of heightened reality rather than being this weird sort of dreamscape world. It's a really, just a really great movie that I will always love and will always have a connection to uh, for personal reasons as well as the fact that it's a great film. Yeah, man, I mean, Wes Craven, can you say like we love him and adore him and miss him terribly? And yeah, this is definitely one that yeah, I never saw any of that stuff when I was younger. You know, you just watch it because it's a fun horror movie. And then, yeah, you get older and you see all those connections that you're mentioning, like the family connections and the sins of the family yes. being visited on the children. And what Craven was just so smart about adding that kind of stuff into his, his movies. And yeah, he was brilliant. I'm sorry. I can't talk about him without getting sad. I know. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I recently did a, a rewatch of all his films. It was, first of all, amazing to see, you know, how much he grew as an artist over the years. He was never stagnant. Uh, he never seemed to reach a point where it was like, well, I've arrived. So I'm just going to stay at this plane. He pushed himself all the way to the end, even if it wasn't entirely successful with a movie like uh, My Soul to Take, for example, Mm -hmm. which is okay. I mean, I I don't hate it. Some people hate that movie. But I think he was taking a risk and doing some, trying something different. He always did. Yeah. And he was just never satisfied with doing the same thing. Uh, the closest he came to doing the same thing, I think, was probably the Shocker, you know, maybe. But <laughs> Shocker is still a pretty cool movie, and it's still pretty different from something like it. I love Shocker. I do, too. I do, too. And, it's a good time. Yeah, and I think what he did was different. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, he just tried to create a new Freddy. It's like, yeah, yeah. okay. But it's different. It's, it's It has a different message. It's about media. It's about, uh, I mean, you could imagine Shocker being remade now with, you know, in the cell phone social media era, and it totally works still. Yep. You know that that would be something that would be interesting to take on, maybe. But 
but I don't feel the need to remake everything. Though it was recently announced that uh, Jordan Peele will be remaking uh, People Under the Stairs, which, you know, yeah. which could be really interesting, to be honest. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens there. But anyway, uh, but Wes Craven will probably come up on this show uh, more than once. Oh, for sure. Because I know... We should do just like a whole month on him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of both nightmare and new nightmare with you know love new nightmare with for me the original edges out the new nightmare just a little bit and you is probably the other way around i think that would be an interesting conversation <laughs> um new nightmare is just the one i think i've seen the most yeah well it's a, that's probably why i have more of a a little bit more of a connection to it but. sure and but you know new nightmare is the one that is the one movie i could have seen it when i came out in the theater and i don't know why i did i, I and i wish i had and so it was. It maybe was at a time when I was sort of pulling myself away from horror a bit, which it happened a couple of times. Now I'm sort of firmly planted, and it's like, <laughs> you know what? Screw it. I love horror, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Uh, put it out uh, to the side anymore. I, I am firmly uh, in love with horror, and um, you know, which is good because you know uh, I get a little bit of. You, cash thrown my way from, from say, bloody yeah, you, disgusting. Uh, write about horror from, a lot, so right, you yeah, better love like it. Most of what I write about is horror, uh, though not everything, but most of it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so it, it, it's sort of the bread and butter of my writing. All right, so Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> what do you got? Next up for me, um, I know we're talking about Scorsese a lot, but we that's obviously one of the reasons that we're friends. We have that connection. We love Scorsese. Love my dad. Uh, my favorite of my dad's movies is 1995's Casino. <laughs> and yes, I recognize that it's always compared to Goodfellas because they are very similar. And I recognize that Goodfellas is probably the better movie. But the one that I enjoy watching the most when I I can watch all day, every day, is Casino. And I can't even really, like, put my finger on exactly why I love it. It's the same act. It's the actors that he uses all the time. And they're brilliant, obviously. And I, But I love that it's, uh, like, a change in setting from the usual uh, mob movies. You know, most of them take place on East Coast, New York, in a certain time period. This is uh, in Las Vegas. It's bright lights and color and uh, all the colors of uh, Robert De Niro's suits that he wears throughout the movie. One of my favorite posters for Casino is just pictures of every single suit that Robert De Niro wears <laughs> because they're all like pink and green and like baby blue. And... <laughs> well, I didn't see that one. I like that. But, yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. I want to get a copy of that so bad. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, this one, it's just... I love it. It's three hours long. You know, we have another one of those super long movies and it's one that I never get tired of watching. And when I start it, I have to watch it all the way through. If I start it in the middle, I have to keep watching until the end because there's just a great scene. There's another great scene coming up that you don't want to miss. Yeah. What's your take on Casino? A casino. Well, uh, to be honest, this is the one that uh, I, I love it. I think it's a great film. Let's say that right out front. But I think it's better than people gave it credit for at the time because it was ca- compared so much to Goodfellas. On its own, mm-hmm. I think it's just as good a movie. Well, and I honestly watch Goodfellas and Casino side by side, and I I see them as more different now than they're given credit for. They are. There's a, there's a pacing difference, uh, whereas, you know, Goodfellas sort of places the, the speed of the movie right at the beginning. 
and then uh, has sort of this fever pitch sequence where there's just no stopping whatsoever during that last quote unquote last day sequence, you know, where he's, Mm -hmm. you know, stirring the sauce and he's, you know, (laughs) he's delivering the silencers and he's getting the helicopters and all that stuff. You know, um, that, that whole sequence. And then it just stops. And then to the end, it is this dread that is slow and, and calculated and scary. I mean, in all honesty, the ending of Goodfellas is some of the most suspenseful, scary stuff that I think Scorsese's ever filmed because it is, you know, that, that sense of dread because we know what all these guys are capable of because of the first two thirds mm-hmm. of the movie. And then during that last half hour or so, it's like, when are they going to find out and kill him? You know, that's what the yeah. whole movie, that's what that whole ending sequence True. feels like. And it's very effective if you watch it from that way. Now, Casino just it just moves. It just there's it, it starts it starts in the middle. It's it, it does that whole thing where it starts with the key yeah. sequence of the whole movie where De Niro gets blown up, right? <laughs> you know, and then that is that happens you know about two thirds through the movie, and and so it's all kind of projecting to that point. But then it, after it gets to that. It doesn't do the stop and slow down thing. It just goes. It moves all the way to the end. It goes, goes, goes. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's a it's a fever pitch movie. Um, the pacing is actually, I think, it never gets to that sort of crazy, you know, cut, 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 fever pitch kind of constant movement of Goodfellas. But it it just sort of stays at a at a clip all the way through. It's it's different. It's it's a much different movie yeah. than people give it credit for. And that sounds subtle. But they are different in, in so many ways. And the narration, I think, is is done really well, going back and forth between Nikki and, um, and De Niro's character. Sam. Yeah, it, it's... It's uh, it's a lot more... Uh, I never really saw it this way until I heard other people talking about it that say that it's, like, way more violent and gory than Goodfellas. And it, I don't know, for some reason, I never saw even with the, the head in the vice. I don't know why see, before, I never saw it that way. But, yeah, it's intense. And um, I think what I like most about it, kind of thinking about it now, is that it's about a complete collapse and downfall of these yes, characters. You know, he says it right at the beginning, you know, in the end, we fucked it all up. Yeah. And then you, you watch them, how they fuck it all up with greed and pride and all those, mm-hmm. you know, Sin City and Vegas. <laughs> there you go. They got all of them there. And I, I just, it's, <laughs> maybe it's kind of sad to watch, to enjoy watching these people fall, but they're not really great characters. No, I mean. <laughs> they're criminals. Uh, they maybe deserve it a little bit, but, um, Watching these actors, uh, Sharon Stone is oh. just phenomenal in this movie. I could t- have a whole episode just talking about her, her acting and her character. Joe Pesci and uh, De Niro together. God, there's what's better than that? Yeah, and seeing them uh, through the different phases. I mean, and ninety to ninety five isn't very long, <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then seeing them again in twenty nineteen with with the Irishman, yeah, it's it's like wow. This is, this is really, because they're so different, really in all three, you know, Jimmy the Gent, uh-huh. Jimmy the Gent and Tommy are so different from, um, why can't I think of De Niro's name in, in Casino? <laughs> Sam Ace Rothstein. Nah, Rothstein. Yeah, he's a, di- he's a different name in, uh, in the book. 
I've read the book. Um, yeah, remember, his but, name is a uh, Lefty Rosenthal. Yeah, book. and so and then Nikki um, are, are they're very different characters from the between those mm-hmm. two movies, and then of course in The Irishman, Pesci especially. Both as in in both uh, Goodfellas and Casino, he's he's just you know he's the he's the hothead. He's the yes you know he's that guy, and he is in uh, Irishman totally opposite of that. Totally different. Yeah, he is. It is what it is. He is mm-hmm. just as. Scary. I loved watching him do that yeah. though. And uh, he's just as terrifying. He's, so good. he's yes. just as terrifying in in Irish. Calm Joe Pesci yeah. is almost scarier than yeah crazy yeah stab you with in the neck with, with a, a pen, pen yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah but yeah it's funny that you talked about you didn't think about it being violent uh, because I didn't see it for a while I, but I had my brother and some friends other friends had seen it in the theater. And they all they talked about was how violent it was. Really? Yeah, they, they talked about putting. Guys... I don't know if I was just used to horror yeah. movies, but I think people like comparing yeah. it maybe just to other Scorsese or to Goodfellas specifically. Yeah, it is definitely oh, a lot more bloody and violent. Goodfellas is pretty violent. I mean, the movie yeah. starts out with them stabbing a guy in a trunk, you know, with a butcher yeah. knife. You know? But you don't see it. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, it, it's just kind of like uh, in Casino. He kind of yeah, he kind of shows everything. That's it, true. <laughs> I mean. And, you know, beating them with the baseball bats. That's what I heard all the yeah. time was the head in the vice and the eye popping out and all that other stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I love Casino. I have to see it again. Uh, it's been a while. I own it. So love it's on my show. Can watch it anytime. I love this movie yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah. Some some movies, it's kind of hard to watch if they're, you know, a hard R rated like like casino you know with the kids in the house no, but uh, not for me <laughs> yeah no i've just for, i know i'm just saying with the kids in the house is what i mean oh yeah <laughs> my wife isn't particularly into them. go in a separate room into them either. Watch yeah. by yourself <laughs> yeah exactly i have to say all right uh give dad some time alone we'll be, dad's watching one of those <laughs> movies. so anyway my number one is the movie that makes me feel the most deeply Particularly, and this is a director's cut form to say. I usually, I don't always, <sighs> I don't always prefer director's cuts, but in this case, uh, as well in the case of Doctor Sleep, I think the director's cut is superior. Uh, I'm talking about Cameron Crowe's film from 2000, Almost Famous. It's it's one that I that I thought, you know, is it is it is it affecting me? Is, is it because I feel emotional about it? I sort of resisted placing it as my favorite movie for a long time. I have to admit, because I thought, oh, it's it's I, I need to watch movies intellectually and uh, enjoy them on a purely craft level. Now, please, you know what my a, number one is. Uh, <laughs> I do know what your number one is, but you know, <laughs> but the, the fact is, you know, go with the emotion. I was I was quite a film snob for a while. I didn't even. I was like, I I can't see Rocky because Rocky is, you know. So I know, I know. So when Rocky's I did amazing. see them, I was like, dude, these are rad. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I I have I'm, I'm I don't consider myself much of a film snob anymore. I I will watch anything. I've, I've I've been sort of I feel like I've been catching up on some of the movies that that I <laughs> couldn't bring myself to watch when I was a film snob. So I'm watching I'm watching <laughs> lots of great exploitation and lots of great movies that are just wonderful, even if they're cheap and and schlocky and sometimes yeah sometimes distasteful but you know hey they're awesome those are the best yeah <laughs> but almost famous is none of those things it is not cheap or schlocky or, or distasteful it is a beautiful movie 
It's funny. It's deeply felt. It's very personal. I mean, it is... Uh, I think Cameron Crowe has described the movie as shamelessly personal. And it really is. I mean, there are moments in this movie... One of the best experiences you can have <laughs> if you're into this movie is listening to the audio commentary on the extended cut that's essentially between Cameron Crowe and his mom. And basically everything that's a major plot point in this movie really happened. So um, even including things he got criticized for, like the moment where he's at the end after the, after the plane has almost crashed and he's sort of left at the airport by the band and he has to fly home and his, uh, his sister suddenly shows up. He got so much criticism for that. It's people saying, oh, that would never happen. It's like, it did. <laughs> you know, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. My sister showed up and took me home. It's it's one of those movies that it, it all sums up for me. And by the way, I, I hate to plug myself, uh, but I am going to mention if you want to hear my thoughts or read my thoughts about Almost Famous, I have an article I wrote on it on F This Movie that is also shamelessly personal, and uh, it sort of goes into how I viewed it over the past 20 years. I've seen it from the point of view of William Miller, uh, from the point of view of Billy Crudup's character, Russell Hammond, from Lester Bangs. <laughs> Uh, point of view, and also now from Francis McDormand's character, uh, which is something that I never really expected. So uh, it's it's just it's just an incredible film and a beautiful film. And every time I watch it, uh, the moment that gets me that actually always brings tears to my eyes is right at the end of the sequence where they're singing Tiny Dancer on the Bus, which, you know, is maybe a little corny, but That's it not. totally gets me, and it totally works for me. But the I don't care how corny it is. Yeah. I fucking love that scene so yeah. much. <laughs> me too. Me too. And, and, and he just, you know, William just turns to Penny Lane and says, I need to go home. And she sort of splays her hands in front of his face, you know, like she's transporting him to another world and says, you are home, you know, and that's kind of how I feel when I watch the movie. That's the whole movie summed yeah. up right there. Yeah. That you, line. You are home. This this is where you belong. That's almost homeless. That's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it's hard to express how much I love that movie. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a beautiful movie. And so many of my friends, like, this is their favorite movie. This is the one that they turn to as a comfort. And I, I totally feel that, too. It's beautiful to watch just one of those feel-good human stories mm -hmm. that you just connect with and yeah it's wonderful okay moving <laughs> on what 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 what's your number one or your last okay. pick i should say not your number one this is your this is your last pick it is actually my number one um over the years i've kind of been resistant to like you said i've been resistant to calling this my favorite movie but now you know what i'm owning it my favorite movie is from 1987, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> yes. Own it. <laughs> and <laughs> I own it. You know what? I, I'm a, I'm owning it. It's, this is what I grew up watching. I've seen this movie, God, hundreds of times. It was my mom's favorite movie. I know it was everybody's mom's favorite movie at that time. But 
that's part of the connection that I had to it when I was growing up was that it was something that she and I watched together. Like she's the one that introduced me to it in the first place. So, you know, forever grateful for her for that. And growing up watching it, like I, I watch it not so constantly, like maybe once a year or whenever I'm feeling like I just want to hear the music or something. I'll watch it every once in a while. And it, um, it has definitely, my feelings on it have, have changed. And I, like you said, like you connect with different people at certain times. Like I always connected, obviously, with, with Baby at first. Just kind of being the, she's just this shy, outspoken Jewish girl who uh, who gets the hot guy at the end. And you, <laughs> you kind of want to be like that when you kind of feel like the outsider. You feel like a little bit inside your shell. And seeing her come out of it, that's what I connected with. And then growing up, I kind of realized how much a lot of the story is also Johnny's as well that I didn't really see before because I was so focused on Baby. But he has like just as important of an arc that I, I love getting into with people because it's something that you also don't really see in a lot of romantic movies. It's Sometimes it's more focused on one person mm-hmm. than the other. And I think this one is, is so well balanced out. They, they, they both grow and change. And it's I think that's wonderful to watch. And of course, I also love it because it's got sexy dancing and the music is still great mm-hmm. to this day. Um, this is, frankly, this is just my happy movie. Mm-hmm. I put this on and it just makes me so happy <laughs> that... Um, yeah, this is my favorite movie. I'm saying it. Awesome. Awesome. This <laughs> this was my mom's, and probably still is my mom's favorite movie. So I have a lot of fond memories of watching this with her over the years. I also got a chance to see it in the theater when it was re-released mm-hmm. in 1997 for its 10th anniversary. This was one of those movies that we also had, you know, recorded from HBO. <laughs> so the beginning was so cut. <laughs> the beginning was cut off, so we didn't really see... Like the opening credit sequence and maybe some other part of it. I can't remember. But then I remember seeing it in the theater and going, what's this? What? I, I've, I've never seen this before. It was a very strange experience at first. And then I got into it. I love those opening credits. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. Uh, unfortunately, I did see the movie with uh, someone I'd rather forget. But, you know, hey, that's that's all right. Boo. Boo. Uh, I, I try and link it more to uh, memories of, of watching with my mom, um, which... Which are great. And, you know, she still loves this movie. I think her top two favorites of all time are Dirty Dancing and Ghost. Uh, she's kind of into Patrick Swayze. And it's, she's Swayze crazy. She is Swayze crazy. And uh, I, it's one of the things we, we sort of relentlessly tease her about, but, but in a very loving way. Uh, <laughs> this was also, you know, the first soundtrack I bought. The first, actually, not even that. The first CD I bought was not the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, but the more... More Dirty Dancing. More Dirty Dancing, which <laughs> I thought actually had cooler songs on it. It had, it had the better songs on it. Yeah, it did. yeah. It had, it, had, it had the stuff that was actually true to the period. So it had actual mm-hmm. 60s music on it, which I loved then and still do love. You know, 80s stuff, 80s music is... It's all right. It doesn't really set my world on fire, but, you know, it's fine. So I, I, I have fun with some of those songs, but I do love the, the especially the 60s soundtrack stuff on this, you know, like Land of, you yeah. know, You Love Me was a big song for me. I love that one. I love that song. Uh, big Girls Don't <laughs> That's Cry. That's one of the best scenes. Yeah. Um, so lots of, lots of good, 
good memories with, uh, tied up in this movie for me as well. It used to feel like kind of embarrassing that Dirty Dancing was my favorite movie because, you know, people... It feels like people think you like a movie for certain reasons, like just because it's, it's Swayze and the music and it's sexy or whatever. But I had to realize that I connect with it uh, emotionally very deeply, too. And it, mm-hmm. not just the way I did when I was a kid, as I watched it as a 30 year old, you know, in my 30s, it's it still connects with me in a, in a different way back then, but still just as deep. And so I just have to say, yes. Yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, and and again, you know, I'm looking forward to a revisit of it uh, when we inevitably discuss uh, Dirty Dancing. Oh, we will. Oh, um, we will. <laughs> and you know, I'm really interested to see now how I'll react to like Jerry Orbach as Baby's father. No, oh, yeah, that's another part of the movie mm-hmm. that just gets me is Baby and her dad. Yeah. So I, I have I have a feeling I'll I'll have more connection with that element. Uh, I know it's not a huge element of the movie, but it, it's there. I think it is. Yeah. Um, That's huge. Yeah. It's important. We'll get it. Yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. We'll, 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 we will. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to seeing that again. And, uh, yeah, so the, we this is that's it. That's our top five. So we did it. Yeah. yeah. Those are our forever favorites. Yeah. And um, like we've kind of mentioned once or twice, uh, these are going to come up again. I'm sure in, yeah. in various. We got to get more deep into a lot of these because I'm just, I'm like itching to get into some of the ones we just. This, this a little bit that we talked about wasn't enough for me. It's like no, I want to keep going, but we got to keep keep this episode a little bit shorter. So yes, we will be talking about these more in depth on future episodes Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we're gonna kind of wrap up towards the end here, but one of the regular yeah. features we're going to have is. Uh, each of us give a recommendation of something, uh, whether it's a podcast or a movie or a book or music we're listening to or whatever, uh, just something that uh, you can take with you and maybe check out, something that we enjoy. So what do you have for a recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation is just a new-ish podcast that I really want people to listen to because I think they're doing a phenomenal job with it. This is uh, this ends at prom from BJ Colangelo and Harmony Moon. Uh, kind of going back and uh, looking at teen movies in a different light. Um, sometimes uh, making me a little bit sad for uh, what they say about them, but you know, I, I I totally see it, and it's it's so refreshing to hear their completely different takes on it. Um, they have wonderful insights and it's it's such a great conversation to listen to no matter the movie so 100 percent recommend this podcast this ends at prom all right cool i'm also going to recommend a podcast and that is uh the psychoanalysis podcast uh mm-hmm. which is jen and laura from the losers club and some other shows and then also mike uh from the pod and the pendulum and they discuss horror films through the lens of mental health issues and it's it's a really good show. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm still far. on the first episode. I haven't got into them. Yeah, really digging into it yet, but I'm enjoying what they're saying so far. Yeah, and you know they they really kind of hit their stride around the midsummer episode. Then that was the one that sort of prompted me to want to see it again. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
I also <laughs> to the detriment of your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this is going to probably become an ongoing subject. My my wife watched Midsummer with me, and oh boy, it did not go well. Um, but, <laughs> but I I because I listened to psychoanalysis and their and their uh, sort of look at that movie, I thought maybe it would be something she might get something out of. Well, she kind of did, but probably didn't want to. But <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I still <laughs> highly recommend psychoanalysis. It's not. Uh, yeah. It's not their fault that <laughs> that my wife didn't like it. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, Absolutely. it's it's a terrific show. And uh, so there's a couple of podcast recommendations for you. Um, we also are going to tease our second episode in case you want to watch the movies that we're going to be discussing next yeah. time ahead of time because we are going to go in depth with them we are going to spoil them i'm sure so uh yes, so sure. do you want to let us know what uh, uh topic what we, yeah what's our topic, topic that we're going with is uh what i'm calling our unexpected childhood favorites um which are just kind of a weird maybe not so child friendly movies that we loved and or at least for my pick not exactly a child-friendly movie that I watched endlessly as a kid and still is a favorite to this day. So um, the my pick for that is going to be Penny Marshall's Jumpin' Jack Flash. A movie that I saw as a kid but uh, only saw once. Uh, it was sort of around the time that Ghost was popular and so we were watching a lot of Whoopi Goldberg movies. Um, so I saw that. <laughs> yep. I, no, I saw it twice because we watched it again a second time the next day. And I remember one thing about it. Uh, it got me into the Rolling Stones, so that's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and <laughs> awesome. be flat. Um, so, anyway. And what's your pick for my, your unexpected childhood favorite? My pick is a, is a family-friendly movie. I actually watched it again recently with my kids. It's, it's maybe not as good as I remember it to be, but it was. It was <laughs> I still uh, love it to death, and that is Space Camp. Which I which I just got from the library recently yeah. because of your recommendation, and uh, I'm excited to dig into it. I'm excited to watch it again for the purposes of discussing it. I watched that movie endlessly as a child uh, with my brother. Both of us were very interested in, in sort of like real space travel. You know, yeah. we like Star Wars and stuff too, but... But we were interested in, in actual space travel, so this was sort of one of the one of the gateway movies into things like you know the right stuff and some other movies. Uh, so where can people uh, find these movies if they want to watch them too? Base Camp is available on a Kino Lorber Blu-ray or DVD. Uh, the DVD is pretty cheap too, as I recall. It's like ten bucks. Also, oh. I didn't look to see if it's available on streaming, but it may well be. Or check your local library. That's where yeah. that's where we got ours. Exactly. Yeah. You said uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash was on Prime for rent, right? Yes, you can rent uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash on Prime uh, on YouTube. I think there is actually also yeah. a free version on YouTube if you don't. Which, you know, sometimes you gotta, because the DVD is out of print. I had to get my DVD yeah. from eBay, so yeah. sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. So it's gonna depend on, on the quality. Uh, it, it, I don't know how good of a, of a transfer that, that free version is. It didn't look bad. Okay. I kind of skimmed through it. It looked okay, so. Okay. Um, All right, so... Did we do it again? We did our first episode. <laughs> we did, but we also need to uh, quickly let everyone oh, yes. know where they can find us. Yeah. So um, You can find me mostly on Twitter. I am at Michelle in Egan. Michelle was one L. N-E-G-G-E-N. Come by. Come say hi. I love to talk about movies with people. 
Yeah. And I'm at uh, Brian D. Kuiper. So we have our first name, middle initial, <laughs> last name thing going on. Uh, Kuiper is K-E-I-P-E-R. Uh, yeah, German. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> there's that. And then we will also, and that's on Twitter, by the way. We will also have a Twitter account for the show, and it's going to be at Movie Life pod um yep so you can check us out there we'd love to hear what your forever favorites are you can tweet those at yes, us please please do that um and so yeah that's where you'll be able to find us and we look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to next time where we're talking about jump and check flash and space game yeah all right so how do you think we did i think it's good i think it's good <laughs> do you think we're ready to do the show for real now i think so <laughs> We got, we got this. <laughs>